0: Here it is,
1: from deep inside your audio device of choice, live from New Orleans. More about that in a moment. Matt Bissonette, you know who he is. He wrote "No Easy Day," his account of uh, his his experience as a member of Seal. C- I'm sorry, I have to say this uh, in a confidential way. Seal Tune Six in the assassination of uh, Osama bin Laden. And um, the Justice Department went after him. I believe it was the Justice Department of the most transparent administration in history. It may just have been the most translucent. Anyway, settlement this week. Matt Bissonette has agreed to pay the United States all of his past and future proceeds from the publication of the book As part of the agreement, according to a Justice Department spokesman, that includes $100,000 in speaking fees. Yes, it's not just the Clintons. Speaking fees, Bissonette gave using slides the government had not approved. I mean, we're in the 21st century. Slides? This enforcement action does not discredit Mr. Bissonette's military service, said the statement, but reinforces that it's important for our service members to protect classified information after leaving the U.S. military and government in an effort to protect our nation's national security, said the spokeswoman. According to the Washington Post, the government has dropped any claim that Bissonette's book contained classified information, unlike Certain emails of certain secretaries of state, who apparently gets to keep her speaking fees. because He did not submit the book for prior review. Can't be prior review. That is, that's a non-starter in the, in the word department, but prior examination by um, the authorities. So that's why they went after him. And because he's, who is he? Now, ladies and gentlemen, the karma train pulls into the station right on time. Months after he was removed as president of Baylor University, Kenneth Starr's tenure at the university is officially over. They released a joint statement on Friday saying he's leaving his job in the faculty of Baylor's law school effective immediately. Get the hell out of here, Ken. Wow. That is, you know, I guess, I guess he'll have a a student help him uh, clear out the office. I think I think he's entitled to that. If you don't remember who he was, he was the guy who ran the investigation into President Clinton's, um, what were they called at the time? I'll I'll remember the word in a minute. Uh, The uh, faculty position at Baylor Law School was the only position he'd left after a scandal over the school's lax response. Peccadillo's. Clinton's peccadillo's. Uh, That was the only position he had left after a scandal over the school's lax response to allegations of rape among students at Baylor, especially allegations against members of the football team. Oh, no, roiled the campus community. He was first reassigned to the job of law professor and chancellor. Then in June, he stepped down from the chancellor role. Now he's out the door, out the window, Josephine. In his six-year tenure at Baylor, He oversaw the continuing development of the world's largest Baptist university. He was once beloved on the campus, but the scandal regarding the football team escalated in recent months. Multiple reports surfaced of football players being accused of rape with little or no action by the university. Well, they got all the... No, sorry. A report commissioned by the university found that Baylor had inadequate systems in place. Not laughing about rape, ladies and gentlemen. A report commissioned by the university found that Baylor had inadequate systems in place to respond to such allegations. It also found that Baylor had failed to consistently support students who reported sexual assault and failed to take action to identify and eliminate a potentially hostile environment, prevent its recurrence, or address its effects for individual complainants or the broader campus community. The uh, investigation conducted by a law firm found examples of actions by two university administrators that directly discouraged victims from reporting or participating in student conduct processes or that contributed to or accommodated a hostile environment. In one instance, the actions constituted retaliation against a complainant for reporting sexual assault. Starr issued a statement saying he knew nothing about the allegations and he denounced the alligators. It's ironic it's uh, karmic. A moment, a moment of uh, a moment of silence to acknowledge the primacy of karma. And now, we're not number one. The World Health Organization defines maternal health as uh, maternal death as the death of a woman while pregnant or within forty-two days of termination of pregnancy. Uh, one of the goals of the United Nations Millennium Development project was to cut the global maternal mortality rate by 75%. In fact, the overall rate has been cut by 50% since uh, 1990. While the worldwide rate did not attain the UN goal, it has at least been falling since 2000 for many countries, but not the United States. The authors of a disturbing new study of vital statistics have found that the estimated maternal mortality rate for the 48 states and the District of Columbia rose from 2000 to 2014, by 26.6%. Only one state was accepted, California. There the rate declined. The United States has not published official statistics on maternal mortality since 2007. This study appears in the September issue of the peer-reviewed journal Obstetrics and Gynecology. I read it for the ads. The authors think the actual maternal mortality rate in the United States in 2000 may well have been higher previously reported because the Centers for Disease Control changed questions on the questionnaire. More troubling were the findings of the authors in a separate study of Texas data. They saw the same trend as in 48 other states, a rise in maternal mortality, but they detected a so far unexplained surge from 2010 to 2012, something that did not happen in any of the 49 other states. Nutty Coincidence Department, that period coincided with the states of Texas's decision to slash its family planning budget by two-thirds in 2011, an attempt to shut down abortion providers that ultimately forced 82 clinics, many of which never performed abortions, to close. Don't mess with Texas. We'll mess with your baby. And um, world's best cities, the Economist Intelligence Unit attempted to quantify this week, the world's most livable cities, Melbourne, Australia, tops the list for the sixth year in a row. I can attest to what a swinging, a swinging burg that is. Six of the top 10 cities are in Australia or Canada. Canada. Sydney drops out of the top 10 due to fears over terrorism. Damascus is the lowest rated city. I'm what, Why? Atlanta, San Francisco, and Chicago have dropped down the rankings after spikes in civil unrest. I don't think there was a, an American city in the top 10. Because we're not. Number one. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a guest on CNN's reliable, For- uh, reliable Sources said this morning, there's fatigue in the media about flooding in Louisiana. Those words came out of that person's mouth. Didn't go back in. Didn't take a dive back in. Um, For all those poor, fatigued media people, uh, let me point out, there's a a tiresome old war going on in Syria for more than five years. There's a really, really fatiguing war going on in Yemen where our allies, the Saudis, with our bombers are uh, destroying, I think this week, the fourth of uh, four hospitals run by Doctors Without Borders. You know, hospitals—they just look like, like uh, military targets. To if you're if you're high up enough. Um, but in case you need a refresher course, folks in the media, the uh, flooding of South and Southwest Louisiana this past week. I'm speaking from New Orleans. We're dry. One of the reasons we're dry is because uh, more than a hundred years ago, we, the city, built. The best uh, internal piping, pumping system uh, ever seen, at least up to that point. And by the way, as late as 1953, when the Dutch had severe flooding, where they came to learn about how to pump water out of a low lying area was New Orleans. Uh, so we got a lot of that same rain, but we had the benefit of the pumping system in Baton Rouge and areas surrounding. The population density didn't allow for the resources to build such a system, and they just got overwhelmed by uh, unbelievably heavy rain, like a one-in-500-year event, which now, with the help of climate change, is more like a one-in-seven or 10- or 15-year event. Unlike what happened in New Orleans 11 years ago, which was not caused by a freak storm, but as two university-based investigations into the flooding showed was caused by decades of engineering mistakes, miscalculations and misfeasances by an agency of the United States government it'd be a little less fatiguing if you learned the difference between the two events in my humble attempt, that's just a humble opinion of hello, welcome to the show (laughs) Meanwhile, you meet a people, why don't you take the rest of the day off and get some sleep and help with the fatigue? From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. I uh, I did give vent to what some listeners might have thought was some uh, premature skepticism when Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, the perpetrators of the Fukushima debacle, announced they were going to... F- Solve the problem of groundwater passing underneath the uh, crippled and destroyed nuclear plants, getting irradiated, and then flowing into the ocean. And they were going to do that by building an ice wall in the ground to freeze the water so it wouldn't move and therefore it wouldn't get irradiated and wouldn't go to the ocean. As I say, skepticism reigned in these quarters at that announcement. This week, the Asahi Shimbun reports Tokyo Electric Power Company's frozen wall of earth has failed to prevent groundwater from entering the crippled reactor. The utility needs a new plan to address the problem, experts said. Quoting the late Abby Hoffman, an expert is a fast-talking guy from out of town. A panel with the Nuclear Regulation Authority received a report from TEPCO on the current state of the ice wall this week. The experts said the ice wall project in its fifth month has shown little or no success. Little would be good. No less. The plan to block groundwater where the frozen wall of earth is failing, said Yoshinori Kitsutaka, a professor of engineering. They need to come up with another solution, even if they keep going forward with a plan. Oh no, keep going forward with the with the failed plan, that's good. One big problem hampering work at the nuclear plant has been the tons of groundwater entering the buildings every day. Tons every day. But water we got Nobody's short of water. The water becomes contaminated, as I mentioned. TEPCO's plan to build the frozen wall of Earth. They started freezing the ground March thirty first. And a budget of three hundred forty-four million. I can freeze stuff for free. I mean in my refrigerator, it'll take longer, but and it comes out in cubes, which is handy. The amount of groundwater pumped from the ocean side of the frozen wall has shown little change from when there was no ice wall. TEPCO says 99% of the thermometer readings on the 820-meter-long stretch of wall show temperatures of freezing or lower. That's suggesting the underground wall was frozen solid at those points. However, the remaining 1% of the readings above freezing were in, levels, were in areas with high levels of groundwater con- concentration. A 99% success rate may sound impressive, but like dams, airlocks, and Tupperware... TEPCO's ice wall is failing if it is not 100% watertight. TEPCO's new plan, the unfrozen sections could be reinforced with concrete, which raises the question, why didn't you build a concrete wall in the beginning? Oh, now with more and more of the skepticism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of skepticism, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. A new theory suggests that a design flaw in the Olympic swimming pool may have given some swimmers unfair advantages in Rio. Three U.S. swimming researchers say a current in the Rio pool boosted the speed of swimmers in high-numbered lanes during the men's and women's 50-meter freestyle competitions. According to the Wall Street Journal, the researchers discovered the lane bias by analyzing performance data from the Olympic races. The researchers believe the issue is linked to a design flaw in the pool that was built specifically for the Rio Games and to be taken down when they conclude. Get out of the way when they empty it. Biases in swim lanes tied to lanes, uh, li- biases in swim times lied to tied to lanes and directions such as those allegedly found in the Olympics occur more commonly in temporary pools like the one in Rio uh, that is a conclusion from another paper from the same authors earlier The temporary pool was constructed by a company called Merth pools that built the pool used in the 2013 World Swimming Championships which was mired by a comparable current controversy At the time, Mirtha agreed the findings indicated the presence of a current. This is just an anomaly we were not prepared for, they said. When contacted by the publication this time around, a spokesman for Mirtha Pools said the company tested the Rio pool and found no indication whatsoever of a current. The international body that governs swimming is currently reviewing the analysis. While much of the world's media has focused on Ryan Lochte's fabricated account of his armed robbery that never happened. The real victims of Olympic crime in Rio are the city's poorest residents caught on the front line of conflict between the authorities and drug traffickers, reports The Guardian. Since the start of the Olympics, local media have reported at least 14 deaths in shootouts between gang members and police or soldiers from the 85,000-member security force deployed for the Games. While such high levels of violence have long been a fact of life in favela communities, many residents feel the situation has been made worse by the high-profile mega-event that has focused police on protecting rich foreign visitors and targeting poor local residents. The heightened tension of the games has led to at least one fatal mistake. Helio Andrade, a state trooper from the distant state of Roraima, was shot dead a week ago after he mistakenly drove into a gang-controlled neighborhood in a favela. As a soldier on Olympic duty, his death was caused for interim president to declare national mourning. It also, as is often the case in Rio, prompted the police to launch an extensive and punitive hunt for the killers. At least five residents of the favela were killed in the operations, though the suspects have yet to be apprehended. Images of the area in the local media show that it came under a state of semi-siege, with police helicopters flying overhead and homes raided by heavily armed military police two people had been shot in the latest police action, the day the Guardian reporter visited the favela. It's all too easy for strangers like Andrade to wander in accidentally. The state trooper was far from the first to be killed by a wrong turn. During the Olympics, with athletes and officials... Traveling back and forth between the airport and the city center, the authorities have flooded the center with troops. The security is to protect them from us, says a resident of the Vela. The Olympics is for those on the outside, those who have money. Well, you need money. It's, It's a movement. The Olympics. And we all need one. A movement, that is. Every day. be more about the Olympics and the apologies of the week, as you would expect, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we have now two differing conclusions about the uh, impact of neonicotinoid insecticides on populations of bees, particularly wild honeybees. We have from Washington State University. Neonicotinoid pesticides can harm honeybees, but a new study from Washington State researchers shows the substances pose little risk to bees in real-world settings. A team of WSU entomologists studied apiaries in urban, rural, and agricultural areas in Washington State, looking at potential honeybee exposure to those pesticides, published their findings in the Journal of Economic Entomology, after calculating the risk based on a dietary, no-observable adverse effect concentration, the highest point where there, before there is an adverse effect on a species, the study's results suggest low potential for neonicotinoids to harm bee behavior or colony risk. Most of what has been dominating the literature recently regarding neonicotinoids and honeybees has been hazard identification, said the chief researcher, but hazardous exposures are not likely to occur in a real-life setting. The lead author said many sublethal toxicity studies, whether at the organism level or colony level, have not done formal dose-response analyses. This was done with the cooperation of 92 Washington beekeepers. Neonicotinoid residues throughout the one-year trial were detected in fewer than 5% of apiaries in rural and urban landscapes. Two neonics were found in about 50% of apiaries in agricultural landscapes. That would be where the pesticides were most likely employed, although they are used by uh, homeowners. On their lawns, although neonicotinoid insecticide residues were detectable, the amounts were substantially smaller than levels shown in other studies to have not have effects on honeybee colonies. The author, though, said it's still important to be careful with the use of neonics and follow product label directions. That's useful advice. But On the other hand, the large-scale, long-term decline in wild bees across England has been linked to the use of neonicotinoid insecticides by a new study. Over 18 years, researchers analyzed bees who forage heavily on oilseed rape, a crop widely treated with, with neonics. The scientists attribute half of the total decline in wild bees to the use of these chemicals. Industry sources say the study shows an association, not cause and effect. In recent years, several studies have identified the negative effect on honeybees from neonics. Few researchers have looked at the long-term impacts of these substances. The new paper, according to the BBC, examined the impacts on populations of 62 species of wild bees across England from 1994 to 2011. This from the Center of Ecology and Hydrology, no economics mentioned, used distribution data on wild bees excluding honey and bumblebees collected by by the bees. They were able to compare the locations of these bees and their changing populations with growing patterns of oilseed rape across England over 18 years. The lime-loving furrow bee has shown a 20% decline in wild populations. Key innovation was the commercial licensing of neonics for the crop in the United Kingdom in 2002. Seeds are coated with the chemical. Every part of the plant becomes toxic to pests. This new work suggests, for the first time, that the detrimental impact seen in the lab can be linked to large-scale populations extinctions of wild bees, especially for those spe- species of bees that spend longer foraging on this particular crop. Where was this published? What does it say?
2: It'll say where it published.
1: Center, well, Center for Food, Center for Ecology, and Hydrology. So I guess they have their own journal, maybe. I don't know, but and you 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 read your, your you, you picks your uh, journal article, you picks your research and you uh, you has your choice. That's you know chemistry is not an exact science and science is not an exact science either. I think we can all agree on that in the uh, in agreement with the Olympic spokesman from last week who opined on science but science but now news from outside the bubble. How
3: much does it cost to get Larry King to interview you? How much does it cost?
1: I'll tell you how much it costs. $225,000. Yes, according to the Telegraph newspaper in London, that's how much it cost for Larry King to interview Ukraine's pro-Russian prime minister, according to a politician who's discovered a black ledger. Tom?
3: A black ledger?
1: That's right. Detailing alleged alleged secret payments to the U.S. from Ukraine's former ruling party. King flew to Kiev in November 2011.
3: Get the pastrami so good there.
1: No, to interview Ukraine's then-Prime Minister Mykola Azarov, a key figure in the government of President Viktor Yanukovych, whom Ukrainian prosecutors accuse of massive corruption. Speaking to journalists in Kiev at the time, King said, After the interview, I told my wife that he would have been a successful U.S. politician. As for who he, he reminded me, he's a bit like Jimmy Carter. He looks good and it's easy to meet with him. During the encounter, King asked... A series of questions, uh, including What do you like most about your job? Why are you interested in politics? And How's your health? He did not ask What's your favorite sum of fruit? The uh, $225,000 payment was indicated in the secret ledger. The interview was broadcast by Ukraine's pro government TV station. Oh, we didn't get to see it. King has gone on to work for Russia Today. He's not; a, was not av- immediately available for comment. Russia Today, they got the best pastrami in the world. The United Nations has finally acknowledged it played a role in an outbreak of cholera in Haiti in 2010 that has since killed about 10,000 people in the country. Scientific studies have shown that Nepalese UN troops were the source of the disease. The UN had repeatedly denied responsibility until now. The UN still says it's protected by diplomatic immunity from claims for compensation from victims' families. The uh, Haiti, uh, after the flood, uh, was not the only place where UN peacekeepers have been reported to have defective sanitation practices, but it's the first one that, where they've been reported to cause a cholera outbreak. So that's a first. the first. The cholera outbreak has been blamed on leaking sewage pipes at the UN base. U.S. courts have rejected claims for compensation filed by victims' families. No case of cholera had been recorded in Haiti for a century before the outbreak in late 2010. Once cholera enters the water supply, it's difficult to stop. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. And also news from outside the bubble, from Germany, and also uh, from the Telegraph in London. Germany could impose a ban on women wearing burqas, or full-face Islamic veils, at schools and universities and while driving, under new proposals announced on Friday by Angela Merkel's Angela Merkel's party. The burqa does not belong in our cosmopolitan country, said the Interior Minister. We all reject the full veil, not only the burqa, but also other types of full veil that not only leave the eyes visible. They have no place in our society, unquote. The proposal stopped short of the complete ban called for by senior figures in Merkel's party instead what has been described as a burqa ban light will apply to women working as public officials attending public demonstrations and in court as well as in schools universities and while driving showing your face is essential for our communication coexistence and social cohesion and that's why we're asking everyone to show their faces said the interior minister we want to introduce a law to make people show their faces and that means that those who break that law will have to face the consequences unquote. Interesting use of the words there. The policy is likely to be largely symbolic as burqas and full-face veils are already vanishingly rare in Germany. There are some four million Muslims currently in Germany. A government study five years ago found that more than two-thirds of Muslim women in Germany wear no hair or face covering of any kind. Calls for a burqa ban have been largely fueled by the ruling party's nervousness over the threat from the far-right Alternative for Germany party at general elections next year. That party had adopted an openly Muslim agenda and declared Islam, quote, does not belong in Germany. Hence the attempt by Merkel's party to try to appeal to that, um, that part of the electorate, that tendency in the electorate, with a, uh, a partial ban. On full face coverings. Now, that that is obviously one way to approach the uh, the situation of uh, full face coverings, full body coverings. Another is just to dig it.
2: She floats down the street, and you have to blink. She swept along in a billow of ink. You're so mesmerized, you have to stare at the absence of lips, ears, nose, and hair have what the other girls lack, the gold thither lore of the lady in black. It doesn't seem likely, and yet it's true. You're not supposed to look. Sure enough, you do. Eyes Tell the story That the rest conceals And when you catch her gaze Oh, how magical it feels The view's much the same From the front or the back Just one of the charms Of the lady in black Miracles do happen You can't forget what you see An amorphous drape hides a womanly shape And you get the whole show for free Odds are you'll never meet Odds are you'll never speak You'll never kiss Oh, no, the bliss of that well-hidden cheek But she lives on Every night in your dreams To lurk under burka (laughs) She's not what she seems To make nothing of something Mm, She's got the knack She's in there somewhere Lady in black. But miracles still happen. There may be one today. A wedding may soon follow. She'll swirl in on a cloud of gray. away down the track, two little boys just for the noise, and of course, a little lady in black, lady in black, lady in black.
1: From New Orleans, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the week so sorry massive uh, worldwide disruption for Atlanta-based Delta Airlines a couple of weeks ago came less than 3 weeks after Southwest Airlines canceled or delayed thousands of flights in both cases the airline airlines blamed equipment that is neither particularly complex nor costly instead several outside experts said the failures at Delta and Southwest underscore a lack of spending on redundant systems that can absorb shocks and switch to backups even if it's the airlines are racking up record profits. Delta Chief Executive Ed Bastian apologized to passengers and said company teams were working around the clock to restore our capabilities. But no, you know, no backups. Because we'd rather invest the money. Demi Lovato caught some heat this weekend after posting a joke her mom made about the Zika virus on Snapchat. In the clip, Lovato's mom remarks everybody down in rio gonna get the zika virus as lovato cracks up off camera soon after internet users were criticizing lovato and her mom for making fun of a public health crisis lovato later apologized stressing she wasn't mocking the zita outbreak quote in no way did i mean to offend anyone last night i was laughing at how southern my mom sounded not the issue at hand deepest apologies she tweeted Unquote. so she was making fun of southern that's okay The Chicago Cubs have apologized for a song that was played after reliever Aroldis Chapman left the mound during uh, Sunday's game. The Cubs said an employee played Prodigy's Smack My Bitch Up after Chapman pitched the ninth inning of a loss to the Cardinals. That employee was fired last Monday. We apologize for the irresponsible music selection during our game, Cubs president of baseball operations Crane Kenny said in a statement. The selection of this track showed a lack of judgment and sensitivity to an important issue. Chapman missed the first 29 games of this season. Under baseball's domestic violence policy, he was involved in an October incident where he allegedly choked his girlfriend. Country star Blake Shelton took to Twitter Wednesday to apologize for a series of tweets that have since been deleted from his account. Everyone knows comedy has been a major part of my career. It's always been out there for anyone to see, he tweeted. That said, anyone who knows me also knows I have no tolerance for hate of any kind or form. Can my humor at times be inappropriate and immature? Yes. Hateful? Never. That said, I deeply apologize to anybody who may have been offended. Unquote. Tweets in question include, quote, Grown men who wear Chuck Taylors may as well write on their foreheads. Cucumbers turn me on. Another one. Standing in line at a coffee shop in L.A. talking with a man in front of me. He orders a skinny caramel latte. I couldn't tell he was gay. Three exclamation points after that. Uh, from another one. Wish the D-head in the next room would either shut up or learn some English so that I, I would at least know what he's planning to bomb. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. But it's, it's part of his career. Under a new security measure put in place at the beginning of August... When seniors or other recipients try to log on to their social security account, the administration offers to text a code to their cell phone. Once they enter that code into the agency's website, they gain access to their accounts. problem many older Americans don't use text messaging. Facing a backlash, the Social Security Administration apologized for any inconvenience the new security policy had caused, and it said it was making the text message code optional. Remember member the Board of Trustees of Riverside Community College District in California apologized this week for posting tweets depicting a hangman in the words, I'm ready for Hillary. Trustee Nathan Miller published tweets which were later deleted, The deletes which were later detweeted, from the Twitter account of the Riverside County Republican Party. He's on the party's central committee. He released a written statement addressed to the college district community, apologizing for the tweets before a board meeting. I write today, so proud of the accomplishments of the students, faculty and staff and administrators of our district. And uh, I am sorry that my recent actions have taken away from telling that important story. The social media posts I made were wrong. I apologize to all of yours, uh, all of you, for my actions, and I regret if they have in any way impacted your role at the district. I ask for your forgiveness and hope we can move forward toward th- together to make the district the beacon of opportunity for all in our region. He did not resign from the board. He did resign from his job at the State Board of Equalization. All right. So taxpayers get a break, I guess. Um, Ryan Lochte, of course, you know, uh, most recently uh, on a uh, an interview with Matt Lauer for NBC's fabulous Olympic coverage said uh, he apologized for over-exaggerating his story about the uh, fake holdup because you just have to know just how much to exaggerate. And they, I guess they don't, do they train for that? Exaggeration. Calibration. The, um, U.S. Olympic Committee also apologized for the behavior of the four swimmers. You know the whole story, though. We apologize to our hosts in Rio and the people of Brazil for this distracting ordeal in the midst of what should rightly be a celebration of excellence, said the Olympic Committee statement. U.S. Swimming's executive director Chuck Weigas also released a statement attacking lapses in judgment on the part of the swimmers. Didn't mention... The insult to Brazil, which, as you know, is undergoing this bad reputation for crime. And one of the swimmers says he cannot explain teammate Rock, uh, Lochte's actions. Gunnar Bentz was one of two who were pulled off a flight in Rio questioned by police. He apologized in a statement released by the University of Georgia. How
2: about them dogs?
1: Then, um, Then we have, of course, the most famous non-apology of the week, it goes something like this. No, it doesn't go like that at all. That's how it doesn't go. I'm going to tell you right from, the, right from the get-go, that's how that apology, that non-apology does not go. It goes like this. Sometimes
3: in the heat of debate and speaking on a multitude of issues... You don't choose the right words, or you say the wrong thing. I have done that, and believe it or not, I regret it. And I do regret it, particularly where it may have caused personal pain.
1: Yes, Donald Trump came close to the uh, A word, said the R word, regret, um, not the only time he said it. Now, that was uh, Friday. Over the weekend, he had a meeting with uh, officials of Univision, the uh, Spanish-language television network. Uh, actually, he, he met with Hispanic leaders. It was covered by Univision. And um, according to the Univision reporting... He says he will plan uh, present an immigration plan that will include finding a way to legalize millions of undocumented I- immigrants, therefore standing in sharp contrast to his previous statements about immigrants during the campaign. According to one of the meeting's attendees, Trump said he regretted having made comments about building a wall and deporting all undocumented immigrants. It was not clear if he had issued an apology. I think just regrets. Regrets are enough. So the... The pivot, which uh, had been brooded about in the wake of the management shakeup at the Trump campaign, continues apace and goes forward. Today. He says he'll always tell the truth. She says her father is the most truthful man she knows.
2: Where does the truth lie and why?
4: That's what God and Oprah put me here to find out. An all-new Dr. Bill. Five, Am my Dr. Bill. Four, this whole show is a trigger warning. Three, have a good show, Dr. Bill. today we're going to kick Ellen's ass. One, Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill. Thank you. You know, ever since I turned in my license to practice, I've been amazed by how many people are doing what I do here every day, diagnosing the personality disorders of people they've never met. Today, we're going to kick that habit. (laughs) I know this man. I've met this man. I've watched him for the last 14 months. And I've thought, there's somebody I'd like to get into the Dr. Bill house for a couple of months of what I call deep coaching. Well, that's not happening yet. But we've got the next best thing today. He's here in the Dr. Billatorium for a one-on-one with the only other person I know of who's on this stage. Please welcome Donald J. Trump. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don, can I call you Don? Um... My supporters call me Mr. Trump. I think I'm going to call you Don. (laughs)
3: It's your show. Mm -hmm. On The Apprentice, you'd call me Mr. Trump. By the way, on our weakest, absolutely weakest episode, our ratings were so much bigger than yours. It's a joke, but go ahead. I appreciate the first and last parts of that. (laughs) Uh, But let's get right down to it. Great. By the way, as my people told you, I'm not coming to the Dr. Bill house. I've got a little too much on my plate at the moment. But you are more than welcome to stay at Trump Tower. So many people say it's more fabulous than ever.
4: Really. Let's see if that offer still stands at the end of this program. (laughs) Okay. Don. Don, do you think you were a narcissist? Honestly, Dr.
3: Bill, how the hell would I know? To to tell you the truth, I'm too busy being me to worry about uh, who or what me may turn out to be. But here's what I do know. Millions of mm-hmm. people like me. I have friends all over the world that I never even talked to. Time magazine had me on their cover. So often people come up to me, they're surprised they're not seeing the word time in big letters on my forehead. I don't think we've ever seen your forehead. <laughs> well, it's, it's there, believe me. Well. So you tell me, does that sound like a narcissist? I mean, it sounds like a really nice person. Really nice. I mean, a lot of people tell me I'm the nicest person they've ever worked for. So... <laughs>
4: Ah, okay, I want you to look straight at I want you to look straight at mm-hmm. me when I ask you this question. It so happens that 's my bad side to camera, but okay, fine do you think your father liked you? You know
3: to tell you the truth, I think he liked me very much. I think he would have given me a very big okay sign to what i 'm doing now, and I know he liked that suite at the trump tower that i 'm reserving for you it's an interesting thing. my father stayed in that suite once. He absolutely loved it. He said it reminded him of Switzerland, or at least the pictures he'd seen of Switzerland. I don't think he ever went there personally.
4: But, All right, you said uh, to Christian media mm-hmm. you never felt the need to apologize or seek forgiveness from God. You told a radio shock jock you like to not feel regret. Do you feel like you're less of a person if you feel the need to say, I'm sorry, uh, I expressed regret this very week. Many people said they'd
3: never heard regret expressed that well.
4: <laughs> okay. We're going to do a little thing here. Okay. I'm going to ask you to say that you're sorry for one thing you've done in your life right here on daytime television in front of all these highly medicated women. So okay. You know something? To tell you the truth, I think you feel... That you
3: trapped me or tricked me or something, which is why I've never been to a shrink. Because a lot of people tell me that's their shtick.
4: Is it kind, Mr. Just kind Mr. of? Mister, Mister, Mister Trump, I don't have a shtick, and I'm not a shrink. I'm just like you. I'm just here to fill airtime between commercials. <laughs> okay, F- fair enough. But I have a surprise for you, Doctor Bill. Mm-hmm.
3: I can tell you right now something I'm very sorry about. That I feel great regret about. And I think a lot of people
4: who hear this will agree with me. Well, the microphone is yours. Actually, it belongs to my syndicator, but you know what I mean. Go ahead. I, Donald J. Trump, am very, very
3: sorry that, along with some key advisors of mine, I made the decision to come on the Dr. Bill show today.
4: <laughs> well, well now, I'm not sorry, because I think we're just beginning to break through that shell of yours. I'll tell you why you're not sorry, because <laughs> your ratings went way up today. That's true. true. My ratings always go up on Mondays. But let's get back to you. You like owing money to other people, don't you? It makes you feel more important knowing that some really big bank is on the hook with you for more than a few million dollars. You know, that's a very interesting question. And you know what? Here's the thing. A very smart
3: person once said, You owe the bank $1,000, they own you. You owe the bank $5 million, you own them. So no, it doesn't make me feel more important. It's just that like that smart person said, now I've got the power. That I like. I was the king of debt. I still am, as a matter of fact. you like the power of saying you're fired. Let me tell you something that a lot of people don't know. That line, Hmm? that's not a line I even came up with. In fact, to tell you the truth, here's the thing. Hmm. That line... Mark Burnett, the TV producer mm-hmm. the, who, who made The, the Apprentice yes, show, sir. he came up with that line. He said to me, this was at the first dress rehearsal, he told me straight out, he said, you say you're fired every week. You're going to be the biggest star on primetime television. You know. <laughs> the,
4: me. Look, Mr. Trump, I you. don't come up with half the things I say on television, uh, but I still mean them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to say this one more time. I think the only way you can actually stop and take the opportunity to face some truths about yourself is to commit to a couple of weeks at the Dr. Bill House. You might want to come in October. We're having a major intervention week with the mother of Honey Boo Boo, a Kardashian nephew, and Richard Hatch, the first winner of Survivor. We're filming the whole time for a reality series so you can make some progress with your problems and still be on TV. (laughs) See? That's what I'm saying. Dr.
3: Bill, I'm going to tell you that I'll think about it but my people tell me I can't take two weeks out from my campaign.
4: And I'm Would telling you, it could be the best two weeks your campaign has ever had. <laughs> I've had some great weeks. But uh, you you, you think about it and, and let me know. Okay. Tomorrow, a mother comes face-to-face with a daughter who tried to kill her for drugs. Until then, now that you've found it, try not to lose it. Bye-bye.
3: The Dr. Bill Show is a make-a-big-production-out-of-it production.
2: Inspector
1: General. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, news of inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the broadcast, for your uh, listening, whatever. Privately run federal prisons are more dangerous than those managed by the Bureau of Prisons and need more oversight, according to a new report from the watchdog of the Justice Department. So-called contract prisons are largely low security facilities, typically holding undocumented male immigrants convicted of federal crimes with less than seven and a half years left on their sentence. They hold more than 22,000 inmates, about 12 percent of the total federal prison population. Privately run facilities incurred more safety and security incidents per capita than comparable Bureau of Prison Institutions, according to the report issued by the inspector general of the DOJ, which also said the Bureau of Prisons needs to improve how it monitors contract prisons in several areas. In six categories, contraband, reports of incidents, lockdowns, inmate discipline, telephone monitoring, and selected grievances, the privately-run facilities had more incidents per capita than the government-run facilities. The privately-run facilities did have fewer positive drug tests and instances of sexual misconduct per capita. And... The United States Army's finances are so jumbled it had to make trillions of dollars in improper accounting adjustments to create an illusion that its books are balanced. The Defense Department's inspector general said the Army made $2.8 trillion in wrongful adjustments to accounting entries in one quarter alone last year, $6.5 trillion for the year. The Army lacked receipts and invoices to support those numbers or it simply made them up. As a result, the Army's financial statements for 2015 were materially misstated. According to the report, the forced adjustments rendered the statements useless because, quote, Department of Defense and Army managers could not rely on the data in their accounting systems when making management and resource decisions, unquote. Disclosure of the Army's manipulation of numbers is the latest example of the severe accounting problems plaguing the Defense Department for decades. It affirms a 2013 Reuters series revealing how the Defense Department falsifies accounting on a large scale as it scrambles to close its books. As a result, there's been no way to know how the Defense Department, far and away the biggest chunk of Congress's annual budget, spends the public's money. More than half of the annual budget appropriated by Congress goes into that uh, Defense Department thing. And now, very quickly, ladies and gentlemen, before we run out of time, let's follow the dollar. Spending on political advertising during the U.S. presidential campaign has dropped 60% from 2012, a troubling sign for local TV broadcasters who were counting on a windfall. $146 million has been spent on the presidential race by all sponsors since April, compared with $373 million over the same period in 2012, according to a an analysis by Bloomberg Politics. This hurts station owners. Spending is down in part because Trump's campaign has relied instead on getting his message across in a steady stream of free media and tweets. That's why I ought And what's it cost to get... Military justice, Guantanamo style. According to Carol Rosenberg of the Miami Herald, who is covering Guantanamo like almost nobody else, the Army had staff crunch 2014 Military Commission's cost to do an efficiency analysis of the Guantanamo Bay War Court. It showed the court met for 34 days in 2014, cost $2,294,000 for each day, That's $458,000 an hour on mostly tangential pre-trial issues or $7,647 a minute. Justice, Guantanamo style, does not come cheap, ladies and gentlemen. News of Inspectors General, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. That's going to conclude this week's edition of Le Show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide, throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, on the uh, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your Smee free SME f- smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network SoundCloud, iTunes, wwno.org, and tunein.com. And it'd be just like not talking over a vocal if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. to the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Hawaii, and Chicago and Island, Hawaii and San Diego desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson here at WWI New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The playlist of the music heard here on, whether I talk over it or not, the mailing address for the broadcast, and your opportunity to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for your very own to wear or just to collect, all at harryshare.com. Me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. If you're in London, a very rare chance to see paint drying. No, a grass. Gr- no, this radio show live in person at the London Podcast Festival in late September at King's Place in London. Check with King's Place for details, or just ask the Queen. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change Is Easy Radio Network along from New Orleans.